At this time, Reg Noland will bring this split message with a very interesting title, Addictive Personality Disorder. I'm looking forward to this, sir. Cold addiction rising up inside White lines cover the mirror All the voices screaming in my mind I wanna get out of here <laughs> Okay, so you know by now my nature, right? Okay, hello. My name is Reg. And I'm an addict. Such a statement and admission of the problem uh, would be the first statement offered by a member of a 12-step recovery program such as Alcoholics Anonymous or Nakanon. And since its inception in 1939, Alcoholics uh, by Alcanon, Alcoholics Anonymous, hundreds of thousands of 12-step recovery programs have been formed to help the addicts overcome their addiction. Clearly, with this much such a need indicates that we have a significant problem with addictions in this country, and not just the ones you might expect. Depending upon, oh, come on, don't do that. Of course, whenever you, there's technology involved, let me go back to my backup coffee <laughs> right now. Okay. Um, Depending upon the, uh, the person, we can become addicted to just about anything, which often develops into a compulsion to the exclusion of all else. Here's a list of some of the most common addictions. Alcohol, illicit drugs, smoking, sex, including pornography, gambling, risky behaviors. These are our adrenaline junkies. TV, sports, running, workouts, news, sweets. Ask Ken about sugar addictions. Asking about the sugar addictions. Caffeine, that includes co co coffee, chocolate, Coca-Cola, tea. All right, Novella and I have a, a, a sympathy for that one. Okay. <clears throat> foods, especially foods that are high in fat or salt content. Music, computer games, cell phones, work, money, novelty. Now, that's an interesting, being addicted to something new. Having the latest gadget, for example. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Gossip and new ideas, that's itching ears. Uh, or even cleaning. Ooh, I shudder to think about that one. Cleaning, being addicted to cleaning. Can anything be worse than that? <sighs> Ooh, for I was, I was nearly a casualty of addictive, uh, compulsive cleaning when I was a child. I don't know if you realize that it's even possible. While I have almost no memory of my preschool years and my early childhood, probably due to the high fevers I had when a bronchial pneumonia earlier, my, my mother has told me stories of my great Aunt Minerva, Aunt Minnie for short, so fastidious in her cleaning that there was, not a, there was a specific place for everything and everything was in that specific place. There was not a speck of dust or dirt anywhere in her home. Dirty dishes and laundry was unheard of. Her house reeked of pine saw oil and bleach. There was, there was always seems to be a cleaning cloth within arm's reach of her, you know. Um, today, she would definitely be classified as obsessive compulsive. Now, when I was about two and a half years old, my mother was desperately trying to get me to take solid food, but I was refusing to eat. They couldn't understand why. Apparently, Aunt Minnie had babysit me while my mother was attending to my infinite younger 
infant younger brother, and she would uh, give me a bite of food with one hand and then grab that cleaning cloth and wipe my, and wipe my uh, mouth with the other. I guess I learned to associate the two and develop an aversion to feeding, which I've long since overcome. Uh, <laughs> thanks in part to our family doctor, Dr. Keller, who advised my mother, let him eat whatever he wants, however he wants. Let him make a mess and get food all over himself, his chair, the floor, as long as some of it gets in. Needless to say, uh, Aunt Minnie never babysat me again. So anything can become an addiction or a compulsion even cleaning. Uh, generally, common addictions fall into one of three categories. They are substance abuse, such as drugs, alcohol, tobacco, compulsions for natural desires, particularly foods, water, sex, and nurturing, and learned behaviors such as gambling, TV, and sports. Now, one might wonder, can anyone become an addict, or is addiction more likely with one personality than another? Uh, if so, what are the characteristics of such a personality type? Now, what I'm going to give you now is a greatly simplified uh, neuroscience of addiction. Before we can identify what that addictive personality, if such exists, is, we need to understand how addiction works. Research is bringing us closer to dispelling the notion that it is simply a disease of craving. It's not. It turns out that we have a growing body of evidence that addiction is a disease of learning and memory. God created our brains with a built-in reward system based upon the production of a neurotransmitter called dopamine, among others, so that we would repeat certain behaviors. Whenever we eat certain foods or drink water or have sex or feel nurtured or learn something new, the brain releases a shot of dopamine, which produces a sensation of pleasure, providing a positive reinforcement for us to repeat the behavior. Now, this sensation of pleasure is then associated with a memory and stored in a specific location in the brain. These behaviors, interestingly enough, are the very ones that assure the continuation and development of us as individuals and as a species. When we experience pleasure, we are biochemically encouraged to repeat the behavior. And more frequently we repeat a behavior, the stronger and more permanent that neural pathway for the behavior becomes. An important part of this reward system involves the brain's pleasure centers. The ventral tegmental area, the nucleus accumbens, and the prefrontal cortex. For pleasure to occur, the dopamine must travel from the nucleus accumbens across the synaptic gap between the neurons from a neurotransmitter to a neuroreceptor to the frontal cortex. That's a pathway in our brain. However, certain drugs have the same shape as does the dopamine. And when, they, and when they do so, they fill up the uh, neuroreceptors, blocking them from the real dopamine. Now, we can produce an addiction, a definition of addiction, as a state in which an organism engages in a compulsive behavior, even if there's negative consequences. This behavior is reinforcing or rewarding, and the organism experiences a complete loss of control in limiting the intake of the abusive substance or engaging in the behavior. Now, since this reward comes from a stimulating behavior, certain actions can be just as addictive as the substances. Dr. David Lemon, Lennon, a neuroscience professor at John Hopkins University or School of Medicine, has argued that the traits that make a good CEO, risk-taking, a strong drive for success, obsession, dedication, novelty-seeking, they're the very same qualities, they're the very same pro properties are precisely what makes a good addict. 
good, in quotation marks. He says that the pleasure derived from success, and in particular from risky or novel business ventures, is born of this very same brain pathway that makes substance abuse irresistible to some. It's all about pleasure-seeking and reward. But the mechanics of this push-pull system are not exactly what you may guess. The general idea is counterintuitive, says Lyndon. When you, wonder what would, when you wonder what would make someone an addict, you might think, if the person gets an above-average pleasure from smoking or gambling, then they'd do it more or more. Now, that's completely reasonable, but it's completely wrong. 180 degrees wrong. The genetic variations that predispose a person to becoming an addict seem to be mutations not that enhance or in, in, uh, increase the uh, um, dopamine system, but actually dampen the dopamine system so that there are fewer receptors for the, the uh, neurotransmitter. This can have any number of variations to dopamine synthesizing enzymes, transporters, or receptors. So what happens then is this. The brain seeks a set point of pleasure. Now, a normal person can go to the tavern, have a couple of drinks, and get an effect. Uh, but my friend who has the addiction has to have ten times as much to reach the same effect. So he has a decreased number of receptors, and, he and the addiction then requires him to have more of the drug, not less. In this way, it's not the people who are at a higher risk for addiction that derive more pleasure from, from their substance abuse. It's maybe that they derive less, so they have to have more of the substance in order to get the same effect. But the drive to get there is huge, anyway, says Lyndon. Lyndon adds that a portion of the risk comes from the environment and can happen in early childhood or even in, utri in utero. Uh, if you're abused or ne neglected as a child, you're more likely to become an addict. Even if your mother has the flu while in utero, you're more likely to become an addict. What this all points to is, that is stress hormones. When you get these in the brain early in life, it produces changes in the brain circuitry, especially in the reward system. In the acute phase, this makes you crave. In the long term, it can lead you to a higher chance of developing addiction. In this way, a genetic predisposition and early life stress can, be, can singly or jointly increase one's risk for addiction. Lyndon stresses that addiction is so common because it is, after all, just another form of learning. Since high-achieving people are nothing if not good learners, it makes sense that they are more likely to be chemically or uh, substance dependent. The trick is how to unlearn that behavior or to get root to the root of the underlying issue and learn healthier ways of coping with, it, with stress. So, what are the characteristics of the addictive uh, personality disorder? The American Psychological Association does not yet have enough evidence to classify the addictive personality as an officially diagnosed psychological disorder, but it is, quote, common enough to warrant a grouping of certain characteristics that exist in people who display addictive personality traits. I'm just going to summarize these four. They are... Poor stress management, the inability to manage normal life stress or have poor stress management skills in the process. Because they have unhealthy co uh, coping skills, this addictive personality is prone towards substance abuse in order to manage his emotional discomfort. Um, immediate gratification 
gratification. The addictive personality focuses on the here and now. It's incapable of delayed uh, gratification. This makes setting long-term goals virtually impossible. The need for that immediate gratification is often so overwhelming that the addictive personality typically displays impulsive or risky behavior to achieve that sense of, of sensation, pleasure, or reward. With instant gratification often comes the impulsive behaviors to maintain a power over the decisions he makes in his life. These compulsions and need for gratification often come in the form of substance abuse, sex, gambling, or obsession with another person. There's also a lack of intimacy. The addictive personality has trouble relating to other people in a healthy manner and would lead to a mutually, that would lead to a mutually supportive relationship. Lack of intimacy from, uh, comes from isolation and alienation from people. The addictive personality perceives social intimacy as something that is unattainable in life. So he adopts a contrary stance, which often leads to behaviors of nonconformity, rebellion, superficial relationships that are all brief and full of emotional turmoil. A lack of healthy, intimate connection lends itself to ongoing addictions with abusive or substance-dependent companions. Impulsive behavior, as we mentioned earlier, from immediate gratification comes impulsive behavior. Patients with addictive personality disorder have problems with impulsive behavior. They're, this contributes to their inability to quit using the substance, like alcohol or drugs. As part of the impulsive behavior, patients will see everything as all or nothing and will feel powerless to stop it. Okay? They have an antisocial personality. That's another characteristic. Uh, they... Um, uh, they can feel uh, withdrawn from society, which may be the cause for them turning to drugs or alcohol in the first place. Being antisocial can prevent many users from even seeking the help that they need for the addiction. Uh, it is often linked with insecurity. People ha uh, patients have a fear of failure and a hard time reaching out to other people to ask for help. Depression. Many patients with addictive personality disorder have problems with anxiety and, dep and depression. Uh, factors that contribute to uh, personality disorder, the fourth edition of the Diagnostic Statistical Man Manual of Mental Disorders states that a person who suffers from substance abuse disorder shows at least one of the classic manifestations associated with addiction. These include frequent failures at work, school, or home, and repeated usage in, in situations where the habit even endangers their physical health and creates legal problems, continued use despite social problems caused by the habit. The reasons for the substance are numerous, but they range from genetic to environmental factors. Um, according to the uh, National Institute on Drug Abuse, the NIDA, 40 to 60 percent of the disposition, uh, predisposition to substance abuse can be attributed to genetics. So it's in the genes. It's in the genes. And I'm not just talking about the sexual behavior now. Okay, it's all in the genes. For example, to, and as of two, 2010, three different genes have been linked with the increased risk of smoking cigarettes. It also it states that the brains of the NIDA also states that the brains of different people have varying reactions to different substances. What may be adequate for one uh, would not be the same effect for others. There are environmental risk factors as well. Um, according to the Partnership for a Drug-Free America, the leading cause for substance abuse among teenagers is stress at school. Uh, 
Environmental stress can also increase the likelihood for substance abuse in, in uh, adults, says the all, all Psych Online website. Um, I'm skipping some pieces here. Social addiction. Most addictions develop over time. They begin as a recreational or social use, and when people partake in this kind of usage, they usually do so to have fun or to alter the way they feel, and over time, it builds up. It be they develop a tolerance to the drug. That's why class one narcotics are so dangerous because as you take them, the body builds up a, a resistance or a tolerance to it. So it takes more and more and more of the drug to reach the same effect. You never have the same high as you have on that first effect. Okay, so. When we, these centers are disrupted, a person's capacity to freely choose not to use the drug is damaged. Okay, Titus 1.15. To all things, uh, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and consciousness is defiled. What happens? What happens? Our brains change. Our brains physically change as a result of the use of abuse. James 1, 14 to 15. But each one is tempted by his lust, being drawn away, seduced by them. Then when the lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's fully formed, brings forth death. So it's a very dangerous of what we're dealing with here. We have hope, though. Our hope for overcoming addiction lies in what God has created there in the first place. The neuroplasticity of the brain. The ability of the brain to change itself. To switch around. It is amazingly plastic. It's, in other words, it's never too late to teach an old dog new tricks. We know that chronic substance abuse rewires the neural pathways that affect learning and memory. <coughs> but we've also discovered <coughs> that changes... And behavior can also rewire those pathways as well. So that our changing in behavior affects the brain just as changes in the brain affect our behavior. In this regard, the 12-step recovery program can be of help, great help by correcting the faulty wiring of the chronic substance abuse that we've had. Uh, that's caused. The better we understand the working of the 12-step recovery, the more we're able to shift the focus from the uh, from pathway from pathology and intervention to the processes of uh, recovery that last that lead to long-lasting. When we develop a habit, the brain creates in itself a path that supports the habit. As we engage in the habit repeatedly, that pathway becomes well-traveled and stronger. In many ways, addiction can be explained as a neuroplastic event, how the brain is changing itself. The brain gets trained to do a particular behavior, the use of drugs, alcohol, gambling, eventually to the exclusion of all else. But in treatment, what we can do is learn how to retrain the brain to develop a new pathway that supports recovery so we begin to enjoy the thing that we do in our sober state. Okay, so what's the purpose of this message? Why have I spent all this time explaining addiction and the method of overcoming it? Because we all suffer from an addiction to sin. We all suffer from an addiction to sin. 1 John 1, 8-10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Clearly, the sins that we commit must give us some kind of pleasure, or we wouldn't be committing them, right? 
Okay? In truth, we are sin junkies. We are sin junkies. And even if we do not commit the sin ourselves, we watch television shows about those who do and engage in the sin vicariously. And just as the drug addicts have their drug of choice, we sin junkies who apparently have, it, uh, have at least one sin of choice. And these sins are the sins that we cannot seem to defeat, that we repeat over and over and over. Further, we may not even enjoy the sin. And that's just wrong. <laughs> it's really sad. We don't even enjoy the sin. But we feel almost compelled to do it, as if we were under some kind of compulsion or obsession. While we may know with our minds that the sins are wrong, we still feel the compulsion of the flesh to do them. This is the very definition of addiction. In our frustration, we echo the words of Paul in Romans 7, 14 to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under the sin. And for that which I do, I know not. For that which I desire, that I do, that I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. Okay? If I then do that which I do not desire, I consent to the law that it is good. But now it is no more that I do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Uh, for uh, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I do not find. For I do not do the good that I desire, but the evil that I do not will, that's what I do. Okay. If I, um, but if I do... But if I do what I do not desire, it is no more I working it out, but sin dwelling in me. I find then a law. When I will to do right, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against this law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of the sin within my members. Wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I, I, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. What Paul is describing in spiritual terms is addiction to sin. He's describing addiction to sin. How do we overcome it? Overcoming the addiction to sin as we sin repeatedly, the same sin or the same category of sin, we continually come to God to ask forgiveness for our, our habit, our recurrent sin. We face a great danger, and that danger is despair. Satan is a very patient adversary, like drops of water falling on a rock. Our recurrent sins can create in us a sense of hopelessness. We say, what's the use? I can never defeat this sin. Over and over, I ask God to for, for forgiveness, only to go out and do it again. I must be a very weak person. I must be a great disappointment to my father. I may as well give up and die. That's the depression. That's the despair that we can fall. We can despair to death. Our, or our hearts become so calloused and so hardened that we no longer are sensitive to the gentle prodding of God's Holy Spirit. So that our consciousness becomes seared with a hot iron. At that point, when we no longer hear his voice, when we no longer have remorse, when we no longer even realize that what we are doing is wrong, then we have rejected the Holy Spirit and committed the unpardonable sin simply because we don't ask for the pardon anymore. 
Let us learn the lessons from the 12-step recovery program. We must admit that we are powerless over the sin, that we are dependent upon God to restore us to health, to righteousness, that we must honestly examine ourselves to know ourselves and our true motivations, that we must repent of the sin that makes a commitment to refrain from it, even though we may uh, <clears throat> fail, to, fail to refrain from time, time and time again, that we put away the temptations to sin and to take ourselves out of the environments that would encourage us to sin. It's an ancient principle. Yeah, I know it's an ancient principle, but one that we can do to rid our environment of those things that would tempt us to sin. Go back to Isaiah 1, 16 and 18. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed, judge the fearless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be uh, white. As, they shall be as wool. What is he saying? Change your behavior. Change the behavior, and the behavior rewires the brain. It overcomes that. It is a call to repentance. Jeremiah 4.1. If you return, O Israel, says Jehovah, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of your sight, then you shall not be moved. See the advice? Get yourself out of the environment. Put it away. Put it behind you. It is the same advice that Paul offers the church in Ephesus in uh, um, Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. I'm not going to read all of them here, but uh, therefore, put away lying. Let each man speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one for another. Do not be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more. Let him labor, working with hand, that which is good. See, change the behavior. Change the behavior. Let not any filthy word go out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? In other words, if we change the behavior, that change in behavior can rewire the brain. It is the same principle that Jesus used during his temptation. Luke 4, 8. Uh, Jesus answered and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Put the temptation away. Get it out of your sight, behind you. If we do so, then our wonderfully plastic brain will rewire itself and make a new man in Christ. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your... It's built in. To renew itself in order to, pro in order to prove you uh, what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Now, while we are indeed sin junkies, God still loves us as his children. He claims us as our children even though we are junkies. Parents do not hate their children who become addicts. Rather, they would go to the ends of the earth to get them clean, to get them help. Costly and frustration as that process of rehabilitation may be. Parents do not give up on their children, even when the children give up on themselves. How much more so does God, our Heavenly Father, not give up on us, but remains ever-loving, long-suffering, let us not forget that not only is God our future, but we are his future 
as well. He has a great deal of time and effort invested in us and is not willing that any of us should perish, but should all come to repentance. Just as a business owner who with an invested interest in his employees, who cultivates and grooms his employees with years of training and opportunity, does not want to fire or dismiss a worker, all that effort, money, time, training, down the drain, all the expense, the time, and the effort of retraining a new employee, neither is God quick to let go of us either. Remember, at any point in our lives, we are not finished products. We are still a work in progress. Is it easy? Of course not. For we are all recovering sin junkies. And once the pathway is laid down in our brain, it remains and, is always, and always presents the possibility of relapse. Satan got us hooked on sin at a very young age so that our recovery is not something that will happen overnight. Like a recovery from addiction, it is not a one-time event, but a lifelong, ongoing process that requires legions of angelic rehabilitation counselors just to keep us straight. Yes, we are sin junkies, and this world's bright lights and advertising are our connection to Satan. He's our sin pusher, effectively, who has us in bondage to sin. In some ways, though, those without, uh, with the overt sins are better off than those who think they are not so bad because that one, they are deluded with the deceptive sin of self-righteousness. Fortunately for us, our Lord is faithful to forgive us whenever we fall off the wagon. A major component of any addiction rehabilitation process is the support group, that 12-step recovery group that we're talking about. Other junkies who are on the road to recovery who can say, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Okay. They are there to lend a sympathetic ear, a comforting hub, a wisdom of, of the wisdom of experience, coping strategies and advice, and warnings if necessary. That is one of the purposes of our Sabbath services. That's one of the purposes of our Sabbath services. They are our, if you will, sinners anonymous meetings, and we are the support group for one another. Filled with other recovering sin junkies, all of us working the steps, one day at a time, just trying to stay in touch with our higher power. So I end as I started. Hello, my name is Reg, and I'm a sinner. <laughs>